Today is Wednesday, December the 14th, and it is time for the Worldwide Wednesday Show, next on the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. Lloyd split out left side, Spencer in the pocket, four-man front, throwing, down the middle, wide open, he caught at the 35, at the 30, and Twan Wells breaks <laughs> the 15, 10, 5, touchdown That'll Carolina. Shut the Touchdown, Juice Wells from 62 yards out. A rope, a rattlesnake from Rattler and the Gamecocks. Where did all the crowd noise go? Could make it a 21-16 game with the extra point. Oh, my. Hurt me. It's time for the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. Here's the cockfather himself. Keith Olsen. This is Rogers again to the 25, 20, 15, 10. Rogers scores! Get the ball to Bennett. He's on. Jackie Bradley Jr. delivered for the game comes. Lost it up. Looking for everybody welcome in to the worldwide wednesday show on the locked on the gamecocks podcast episode number 1111 1111 episodes where shane beamer goes off on the media and reminds everybody how great the team ended the season and all the positive momentum that they have and vehemently defends new offensive coordinator Dowell Loggins. Uh, More on that in just a minute. This is our free show coming to you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, the Stitcher app, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast, this show is absolutely free. And so I would like to remind you that if you are not a patron of the show, if you just listen on Wednesday, run a great special right now. If you join as a VIP annual, you will get two and a half months absolutely free. Your credit card will not be charged until January the 1st of 2024. That is a podcast every single day, Monday through Friday. In addition, you'll get all of our special episodes like commitment interviews, like the morning after show. We do special Sunday night recruiting shows. Those are going to be VIP podcasts. So you'll get to hear an array of tremendous guests every single day, Uh J.C. Sherbert, John Whittle, Hale McGranahan, The Big Spur, 
Mike Gillespie, Watch Fox 57, uh, Ben Portnoy, Go Gamecocks, Ben Briner, formerly of Go Gamecocks, now with TheBigSpur.com during football, Emily Adams from the Greenville News, Jamie Bradford, formerly of the JB and Goldwater Show, and a whole lot more. Uh, Mike Yuva from Gamecock Central, Colin Taylor, did I mention him? Uh, we have great guests. We have the guys that break it down. Phil Kornblut from the Sports Talk Media Network, who has been on the Gamecock beat since the 1980s when I was in college. So early 80s. So uh, I would encourage you. Look, I'm just going to be honest. Our Garnet and Black Town Hall podcast $7.99 a month or the $80.54 per year that you pay to become a VIP annual. Just that one podcast alone per week is probably worth that. I'm just being honest. Tonight we will have J.C. Sherbert. He'll jump in about 6.40 and then he'll be there for overtime, which I would expect to be epic. Tonight, a lot of stuff going on, Gamecock recruiting, transfer portal, National Signing Day, one week from today, we'll have it covered for you. Um, Basketball in action tonight. Um, Is that right? Yep, Uh, Gamecocks will travel to Birmingham to take on UAB and Andy Kennedy and the Blazers. That's at 7 o'clock on the CBS Sports Network. Saturday, the Gamecocks are at East Carolina. Two critical road games coming up for Lamont Paris and his team as they try to extend a two-game win streak heading into conference play. These games are going to be very difficult. Dawn Staley named the Athletics Women's College Basketball Person of the Year. That was announced uh, today. Of course, Dawn Staley, the reigning national champion, two-time Naismith National Coach of the Year, the only coach, men's or women's, to be the Naismith National Player of the Year and the National Coach of the year and of course she's got two national championships was robbed of one in 2020 and a missed layup at the buzzer away from probably having four of them and Gamecocks are the unanimous number one team in both the Associated Press and the coaches poll alright today's show is sponsored by Jack Oliver's Pool, Spa, Patio, and more on Forest Drive in Columbia. Let's hear from Jack Oliver. Football season is grilling season, and Jack Oliver's Pool, Spa, and Patio is South Carolina's premier source for the big three. Weber, Traeger, and Big Green Egg Grills. Blackstone Griddles, too. I'm Jack Oliver. Grill all your tailgate favorites to perfection with a premium gas, charcoal, or pellet grill, then top it all off with something sizzling from your Blackstone griddle. For grills, griddles, patio furniture, hot tubs, and saunas, shop in store or online at Jack Oliver's Pool, Spa, and Patio, 
Forest Drive in Columbia, and jackoliverpools.com. I'm Josh Burrell, receiver and running back for the Florida State Seminoles. When I'm back home in the Midlands, I enjoy grilling and relaxing with my family, and we get everything we need from Jack Oliver's pool, spa, and patio. Thanks, Josh. I'm Jack Oliver, and we proudly offer the Big Green Egg, Weber, and Traeger Grills, Blackstone Griddles, and beautiful patio furniture, too. We're located at 3303 Forest Drive in Columbia and online at jackoliverpools.com. And we deliver. They're good people. Go see them today. That's absolutely right, Josh. Go see them today and let them know the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast sent you. All right, Shane Beamer meeting with the media. A very uh, fired up Shane Beamer. Uh, We're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, So yesterday... No podcast. I was, uh, I had arthroscopic knee surgery. They didn't do a very good job with the anesthesia, and so I was nauseous most of the day. And then as soon as I turned my phone back on, I got nauseous again because the Gamecocks lost two commitments yesterday. Uh, Four-star junior college offensive tackle Isaiah Jada going to Auburn. Um. No, you know, and uh, Oluwatosin, the big tree, Babalade, he also decommits. Different reasons. Jada had been looking around. He had been making visits for quite some time. And uh, he got a sweetheart deal, NIL-wise, to go to Auburn that if I was South Carolina, I would not match. I do think this is a big loss because I think he is probably one of your starting tackles for next year. Um, no, no, no two ways to slice it. Yesterday was not a great day for the Gamecocks. On top of that, you found out Marshawn Lloyd went in the portal on Monday. Uh, that totally throws into flux what you're going to do at running back for the bowl game. Uh, as far as the big tree is concerned, he is scheduled to come to Columbia this weekend. I do think there are some things working in favor of South Carolina, but this young man has been through a lot recently with his home burning down. His family's living in a, you know, a, a crowded into an apartment. Uh, certainly might. Loxley, the, one of the slimiest guys in college football, is doing everything he can to take advantage of that. And quite frankly, I don't think Marshawn Lloyd uh, helps South Carolina much. He's very widely respected, especially by all those DeMatha guys. But Desmond Yumiazulu and the Big Tree are both scheduled to be in Columbia unofficially this weekend. And if he makes that trip, I do think the Gamecocks have an opportunity to get him back in the boat as far as Jada, uh, barring a miracle, that ship has sailed. Uh, I do think South Carolina, just like last year, they're going to be uh, just fine in the transfer portal. And so I'm gonna, I said all that to say this. Okay, the building is not on fire. The sky is not falling. The world is not coming to an end. Okay, South Carolina's lost two guys that their production can be replaced from the transfer portal. Do you like it when guys like Jaheim Bell and Marshawn Lloyd leave after 
you know, both of them have been selling merchandise and talking junk about opponents. And then they, Marshawn goes home, Jaheim goes home, and all of a sudden they're in the portal. Well, what's going on? Well, NIL's going on. And uh, it's the wild, wild west. And a lot of other schools have had it way worse than South Carolina. I mean, hell, Notre Dame's uh, starting quarterback hit the portal. Texas A&M's lost 20 guys. Clemson, DJU, a bunch of their wide receivers, a guy that was probably going to be a starting defensive end for them next year is in the portal. And Clemson, they don't supplement from the portal. So... um, I'll just say this. You're going to have to be patient. It's not going to all be solved by the December signing day. There are a lot of guys that know they're going in the portal, that have been communicating with schools that won't go into the portal until after their bowl games or after the college football playoff, whenever their season is ended in South Carolina, is going to have an opportunity to certainly backfill Uh, With all the momentum they have, they're going to have an opportunity to backfill and to replace the production and to potentially make themselves a better football team. Now, do you want to lose both Juice Wells and Spencer Rattler? No. Dow Loggins today said that for him, Spencer Rattler's his biggest recruit since his wife. And I think Juice Wells is probably not very far behind. So uh, only two opt-outs that we know of, both kind of expected, Cam Smith and Zach Pickens. Nobody asked Shane Beamer about opt-outs today. I guess uh, maybe if anybody talks at practice on Thursday, um, we'll find out exactly who is there. But if you got Darius Rush, you got Marcellus Dial. I think you can be fine there as long as nobody gets banged up. O'Donnell Fortune's probably your third guy there. Kwan Banks can play some at nickel. Uh, I do think you'll have the best safety depth you've had since early in the season. Devonnie Reed hopefully will be healthy. Peyton Williams is playing more. And so you never know if Keenan Nelson or Emory Floyd, one of those young guys, is going to help out in the secondary uh, hopefully you're bringing along those other guys to add your depth at defensive tackle and um, at linebacker, offensive line, you should be intact. And at uh, skill positions, you're not going to be able to do a whole lot at tight end outside of Nate Atkins. And so, you know, could that mean more offensive linemen? Could it mean uh, – you know, six or seven offensive linemen on some sets. Could it mean uh, you know, different personnel that played at running back, like Rashad Amos, like Lavoisier Carroll? I certainly think you could see that. Dante Little Turbo Miller, uh, DeKarian Joyner at quarterback some. I think you're going to need that with Amari and Brown. And uh, your running back is some of that uh, – you know, run game to help with your run game. So 
We'll see Shane Beamer non-committal on who's coaching the quarterbacks for the bowl and who is calling the offense, except it will not be Dowell Loggins. And so right, wrong, or indifferent, Dowell Loggins is the guy risk or no risk or unnecessary risk. I think it's an unnecessary risk. Gene Sapikoff wrote a scathing uh, op-ed about the hire. He didn't get it. He raised a lot of the same questions I raised, except I said I thought the guy was eminently more qualified than Marcus Satterfield and felt like he would have a much better chance to succeed than Satterfield. And everything I heard in the press conference just backs that up, quite frankly, because the guy gets it. And he spent three months with uh, James Franklin and uh, Yurchich at Penn State. He was with the Titans when uh, James Franklin was the head coach at Vanderbilt. He spent a lot of time there in the NFL. He spent time with Bill Parcells, Sean Payton. Obviously, a lot of guys, he talks about that. Shane Beamer, uh, obviously, I haven't mentioned it, and I probably should have mentioned it yesterday morning uh, before my surgery. We found out that Mike Leach had passed away. Mike Leach, one of the all-time great characters and definitely a different dude, uh, but a real innovator in college football a guy that I had an immense amount of respect for as a play caller uh, and as a, a human being. Uh, just different, but uh, the pirate, uh, very fitting that Mississippi State will be playing in Raymond James Stadium where the pirate ship is. And so certainly my thoughts and prayers are with everybody at Mississippi State and especially with his children and grandchildren. Uh, I've lost my father, and uh, not as sudden, but kind of sudden, uh, but he was in a bad way for quite some time. Mike Leach was getting ready for recruiting in a bowl game, and it appears had a massive coronary event, and it was several minutes before anybody found him. And uh, the family made the decision to take him off life support yesterday, and he passed away very similar to how my uncle passed away in December of 1996. And uh, so my, I've been there. I know what it's like, and uh, my my heart goes out to that family and certainly keeping them in my thoughts and prayers because I know personally how it feels. All right, let's get to Shane Beamer. I'm going to play a very fired up Shane Beamer. It's a longer uh, take generally than I play, but it's probably going to be about four minutes. Uh, Shane Beamer, very fired up, uh, very animated and very defensive. Some may argue too defensive. Others may love it. I'm going to leave it up to you. I thought he was, in my opinion, I thought he was justifying the hire, which maybe he felt like he needed to do. Um, and so 
Let's listen to that, and then we'll dive into Shane Beamer's Q&A, and then we'll get to Dowell Loggins and his Q&A. All right, so I'm going to break this up, and I would like to say that during the live press conference, there were a couple of jumps on the YouTube feed, and so you may miss a syllable or so. And so Shane Beamer's going to begin by talking about the positive momentum in the program, uh, and then... Uh, he will also talk a little bit about the, the transfers, about guys leaving the program, and about the success and the momentum the program has. And then we'll pause there, and then we'll go into uh, dialoguing. So here is head coach Shane Beamer. Momentum going into the Gator Bowl, and that's because of the excitement and the momentum that we created here at South Carolina this past season that we continue to build on that momentum, a uh, eight and four team, a nationally ranked team, uh, going to a historic bowl game, beating Clemson for the first time in a while, snapping Clemson's home winning streak that they've had for however many years, six years, uh, back-to-back wins for the first time ever in South Carolina football history, and only the seventh team in the history history of college football to beat two top ten teams as an unranked team in back-to-back weeks. So I feel like some people might need a reminder of some of the things that we've done here at South Carolina this past season and the momentum that we've created since then as well. Uh, maybe outside this building there's a perception that the momentum slipped. That couldn't be further from the truth uh, from a momentum standpoint. We are uh, moving this program forward. The excitement level from recruits and the excitement level from our current team is at an all-time high. We're constantly trying to get the uh, right people, if you will, on the bus of where we're going. We're taking this program to places that it's never been before, and there's bumps along the way, and sometimes as you climb higher and higher, people get off that bus. There's an old, old saying, Steve Harvey, we showed the team one time about the people on your wagon, and make sure you got the right people on your wagon as you climb the hill. And we are certainly climbing to places that we haven't been before at South Carolina football, and uh, we've got the right people on the wagon, and we're continuing to add people as well to that wagon, to that bus as we move forward as well. Wish I could show you some of the text messages and phone calls that I've gotten from current players on our team and guys that we're recruiting as well over the last 48, 72 hours that makes uh, really validates what we're doing here as a program as well. And part of that. And so, all right, so we'll pause it there. And so. I think, Shane Beamer, you hope you're on your way to doing things that have never been done before, but uh, and winning eight games has only been done like 13 other times, but you're not winning 11 games. You're not, you hadn't won the East. Okay, Steve Spurrier did that. You're not, you hadn't won 11 games three years in a row yet. I know you want to be on your way. And look, I'm not being critical of Shane Beamer. I'm just saying he's really fired up. I like that. He's very confident. I like that. He is always going to be the most positive guy in the room. And I know his message is aimed not just at the fans, not the media, but at current player for current players former players and future players. And 
So anyway, uh, you know, you you aren't going you aren't there yet, but hopefully you are on your way. All right, here we go. Back to more Shane Beamer, and here is Dowell Loggins. That momentum that I'm talking about that we've created, we're continuing to build on is hiring Dow Loggins as our offensive coordinator. Uh, I told you guys when we had that press conference over in the stadium the weekend after the Clemson game that there was a ton of interest in, in this position and that my phone was blowing up. And that is exactly the, uh, the case. It was blowing up. And I talked to a lot of people, a lot of people that were interested in this position, sitting head coaches in college football that reached out to me current coordinators in the NFL that reached out to me, current Power Five coordinators. I easily could go out and hire the hot name, the guys that when you guys read the hot boards on some of y'all's websites, the names that were on there that the general public thinks that's the guru and that's the guy that we need to bring into the program. I'm not interested in winning the program, the, the press conference, guys. I'm interested in hiring the best coach available for what we need as a program. I'm interested. All right, and so I'm going to interrupt there. And I'm just going to say, for you folks that are not a patron, my um, Monday podcast was entitled Beamer's Big Unnecessary Risk. Okay, and this is similar. This is not the same as Gene Sapikoff's column, but I did bring up some of the same points uh, as Gene Sapikoff is when Shane Beamer hired his first offensive coordinator after Mike Bobo left, after Des Kitchings left, after um, Tracy Rocker left, after the offensive line coach left. Okay, all those guys had bailed out. He took a chance. He took a risk on a guy that was not proven in Marcus Satterfield. And it didn't work out. Okay, it didn't work out. In fact, to show you how bad Satterfield was the last two games, why wasn't it like that? All 12 games. I mean, part of that's on Shane Beamer for not coaching his coaches, and that's part of what you get with a first-time head coach. Last year, it cost you two wins. It cost you Kentucky and Missouri. There was no excuse to lose those games. Okay, even with the situation at quarterback, you were good enough on defense and you should have been able to score more than 10 points at home against Kentucky, just like you should have been able to score more than 10 points at home this year against Missouri. You beat back-to-back top 10 opponents to end the season, but yet you're up, you three of your Four losses were to six and six dead ass average teams. Now Arkansas was firing on all cylinders at the beginning of the year. Missouri clearly was not, and neither was Florida. Six and six dead ass average. Anyway, you cut it. All right, we've talked talked ad nauseum about what happened after the Florida game. Marcus Satterfield was told in no uncertain terms, no more than 30 plays, no more than four position groups, not 100 or 115 plays in 15 different position groups. You'll hear Dowell Loggins talk about streamlining and how in the NFL it's your job. In college, it's what you, it's what you do. You only have 20 hours a week and four hours of that counts as a game. You can't do all of that stuff. 
He gets it. Marcus Satterfield didn't get it. And so this time, because of all that stuff Shane Beamer just talked about, bro, it's not just winning the press conference, okay? It's winning over the fan base. It's hiring a guy that has a documented track record of success. Yes, there were FCS and Division II offensive guys that reached out. I know that for a fact. I know that there were a lot of Power 5 offensive coordinators that have documented track records of success that wanted this job. Now, if Dowell Loggins works out, Shane Beamer's proven everybody that has problem with the hire, which is, of course, the message board mafia. But guys like me, that I'm not saying it's not going to work. I'm not saying it can't work. I'm saying it was an unnecessary risk to go out and hire another guy that's never called plays in college football. Marcus Satterfield was brought in to run an NFL offense in college after spending only one year in the National Football League as a glorified gopher. Go get the coffee, go get the donuts, go get the copies, go pick up the tackle dummies, go help run this drill. That's what he was. He was not an integral part of helping Joe Brady put in the game plan. And even if he was, as we all know, Joe Brady did not get it done and neither uh, did Matt Rule. And that's why Matt Rule's now at Nebraska. And Joe Brady is basically the assistant quarterbacks coach at the Buffalo Bills. You could have hired a guy that you could hang your hat on because you know he's done it. Not that you hope can do it. Dowell Loggins, very impressive in the press conference. I told all of our patrons he would win the press conference. I do think he's a brilliant guy. You don't go from being a five foot six walk on quarterback at Arkansas to spending 17 years in the National Football League if you're not really smart and not really good at your job. And he's been around a lot of really good people. But he's also been saddled with a lot of really bad quarterbacks and some of the worst franchises in the National Football League. This is an out-of-the-box hire. There's no question. I'm not saying it won't work. In fact, like I said, I think he's eminently more qualified than Marcus Satterfield and just based on what he said, I think the Gamecocks offense, particularly if you return a Spencer Rattler, a Juice Wells, you satisfy your needs at running back in the portal, you develop Lavoisier Carroll and Rashad Amos, uh, you know, you uh, bring in guys like Trey Knox that could be an impact. Uh, tight end, you're going to return Amari and Brown, uh, probably Xavier Leggett, Corey Rucker is going to be there, Kylie Horton, the freshman. We may get to see a little of Landon Sampson in the bowl game. Uh, you know, you go out and get the, the four-star receiver from Arkansas uh, and others that I know South Carolina's in on, you're going to have a chance to have another high-powered offense. And so um, let's continue 
uh, with the defense of Dowell Loggins. Interested in not hiring the name that people recognize. I'm interested in hiring the guy that can continue to move this program forward. There are a lot of hot names, if you will, last year out there in college football. They got hired places that people that are not as aware of what's going on in college football said, oh, my God, that is a home run hire by that school. Well, some of those schools are sitting home for Christmas right now because they're not even in a bowl game with what they did. So talk to a ton of people. All right. Clayton White and Pete Limbo, when we hired those two guys, probably there wasn't a lot of fanfare when we hired Clayton White and pretty and Clayton uh, Clayton White and Pete Limbo. I was- All right, I'm gonna disagree with that. Okay, because Clayton White had been extremely successful as a coordinator at Western Kentucky, and in fact, Jim Harbaugh was trying to get him to go to uh, Michigan. Okay, and when my man got the Oregon job, or my, no, it was uh, it was in December, so it was still when Mario Cristobal was at Auburn. He was talking to Clayton White, and everybody that knows football knows Pete Limbo was considered widely considered, if not the top special teams coordinator in the country, one of them. Okay, so that's a little revisionist history there. By our head coach, who I love and am very high on, but, you know, I'm not going to get to interview Shane Beamer. He's probably not coming on the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast, but I feel like I'm going to agree with you where I agree, and I'm going to call you out when I think you need to be called out, and I'm going to disagree with you when I think I need to disagree. And that's what's helped me build a large uh, community that still has plenty of room uh, to continue to grow because I call it like I see it. So I don't agree with that. Clayton White, uh, a very popular group of five defensive coordinator, and Pete Limbo, a former head coach and one of the top special teams guys, in the country, okay? Don't get it twisted. That's the truth. They, they've turned out to be pretty damn successful here in South Carolina, all right? So they weren't necessarily the hot name when we hired them. People that are in the profession know about Dow Loggins. So I read your article this morning, Gene, and that's great. I'm sure in your research, you did more than just say, well, I haven't heard of that guy before. Let me see what his stats said. Oh, well, he had a run as a coordinator in the NFL that maybe wasn't as successful that he wanted, so he must not be very good. All right, so this is the article I referenced from the Post and Courier. Gene Sapikoff, where uh, I think the last four seasons, Dow Loggins was offensive coordinator. His offenses were ranked 30th, 31st, and 32nd, which is bottom three in the National Football League. Uh, on our regular podcast, I've kind of gone into some of the mitigating circumstances behind that. Uh, but at any rate, let's move on with Shane Beamer here. Surely you did more research than that, Gene. And it's not just Gene, it's a lot of people. So surely everybody that wants to critique every hire that we make here, I'm sure you guys knew that Dow Loggins turned down a coordinator job in the SEC last year, correct? Everybody knew that, right? I'm sure... 
I knew that. He did turn down Mark Stoops last year. Uh, after Liam Cohen left and went back to the Rams, uh, and now Liam Cohen, after a year, is back at Kentucky, he did offer the job to Dowell Loggins, who did not want to leave Arkansas after one year. You guys know that I'm the fourth SEC head coach that's reached out to him in the last two weeks about coming to work for him. So we were fortunate to hire Dow Loggins because there were a lot of other people that were interested in hiring Dow Loggins as well. I'm sure you guys reached out to Bill Parcells, who Dow worked for. Anybody? I'm sure the people on the outside, all the experts on social media, I'm sure they called Sean Payton, arguably one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time. Uh, to talk to Sean Payton about Dow. I'm sure he reached out to Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. All those guys are guys that Dow worked for. Did you call Connor Shaw? Alshon Jeffrey. Coached, Dow coached Alshon Jeffrey with the Chicago Bears. And I'll keep my conversation with Alshon private. But it was pretty dang important, pretty dang special what he told me. I talked to John Fox, former head coach of the Carolina Panthers, Chicago Bears, Denver Broncos, about Dow. Clyde Christensen, current quarterbacks coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sylvester Croom, longtime NFL coach who just went into the Hall of Fame for college football last week. James Franklin, current head coach at Penn State. Stan Drayton, current head coach at Temple University. All people that he worked with or Dow was the coordinator for. So we hired a big-time coach. And couldn't be more excited about hiring uh, Dow and the text messages that I got from people that he's worked with or coached over the last however many years in the NFL uh, validate that for sure. Uh, you don't last 16 years in the NFL like uh, like he has without being a really, really good football coach. And we're fortunate to have him here at South Carolina. Why Dow Loggins? One, he's a fantastic person that I've known since I was an assistant coach here at South Carolina uh, previously. Uh, why Dow? He's an elite recruiter. He's shown that in his two years already at the college level as well. I love the idea of being able to take what he's done in the NFL as an assistant coach and as a coordinator for multiple teams and marry that with what he's learned at Arkansas the last couple of years being a part of their offense and realizing that you can have, quote, a quote unquote, a pro style offense. But then also, it doesn't have to be as wordy, complicated, voluminous, whatever you want to say. You can really narrow things down. So I think being able to take what they've done at Arkansas and what he's learned in his career and marry it to best fit us is uh, pretty cutting edge, if you will, me. He's the perfect fit for what we need right now uh, as a football program. Uh, he makes our program better. His personality, his recruiting skills, his fit in that offensive staff room as well, he'll make us better. You know, we certainly did a lot of good things on offense last year here at South Carolina, but we need to be better, to say the least. We need to be more consistent, to say the least, and I believe that Dow can help us do that. We've certainly got to cut down on turnovers. It makes me sick that two years in a row now we've turned the ball over more than any team in the SEC. So the fact that we've won seven games and eight this year with a chance to win nine, having turned the ball over more than any team in this conference, is a minor miracle in some ways. So we've got to do a better job of cutting down turnovers as well. Uh, the NFL, and Dow will talk about it here in a second, I believe is all about matchups and, and getting the ball to your best players and finding ways to get them touches. I think he'll really help us being able to get the ball to our quote-unquote, playmakers as well. And then being able to continue, like I said, to streamline our, our offense and uh, 
and, and what we're doing to make us better as well. He's had some conversations with uh, uh, recruits that we're recruiting or are currently committed, and I wrote down some of the responses of some of the text messages. One, one young man that's committed to us wrote back, he's absolutely awesome, and he is the perfect guy for me to play for. You know, That was after one phone call that he had. So the response from uh, recruits, and then he's talked to some of our current players as well, has been off the charts. All right, so there is Shane Beamer on uh, Dowell Loggins. So we'll play just a couple of Shane Beamer's um, Q&A, and then we'll uh, give you a good bit of um, Dowell Loggins. All right, so the first question we'll take for Shane Beamer is Hale McGranahan, and he's going to ask Shane about when he did his research on Dow Loggins looked at his play calling history. When did he decide uh, he was the guy? And a very intriguing answer here from Shane Beamer. Um, when you, I guess, did your research on, on Dow and, and looked at all the circumstances with each team and whether or not he was actually calling plays, because you know, some of the head coaches obviously do that in the NFL, how, how did you find that research and, and how, how long did it take you to kind of come to the conclusions that, that you felt like you needed to reach after looking into all this? Um, not, I mean, it was a process. Now, I've, when Dow was the offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans, I went to Nashville and spent some time visiting them and watching practice and going to meetings. When Dow was with the Chicago Bears, Alshon was playing up there at the time. So I went up there one May and spent a couple of days in Chicago. And I was able to go to meetings and watch practice and things like that and see Alshon when he was with uh, the Dolphins. I went down to Miami a couple times and and was around meetings and on the practice field. So I've and was in staff meetings as well with the offense. So I've I've seen him in those environments. So I knew a lot of that already. And then certainly I knew what I knew, but I wanted I know how important this hire is. I know how um, humongous this hire is for where we're for what's coming next as a program. So. You guys know me, like I take my time and, and I'm going to be very thorough and I'm going to talk to a lot of people, not just about Dow. I mean, I talked to a lot of people about this opportunity and, um, you know, kept coming back to him. But then just being able to talk to people um, that he's worked for in the NFL, uh, general managers that reached out to me on their own just to, you know, say, I haven't talked to Dow, but here's what I think and just seeing it with my own eyes at different places over his career as he's matured and, and, and gained experience. Uh, but then talking to people also as well, you know, validated that. And then, you know, communication with players. I think it's important to talk to players that he's coached as well. And um, I was able to do that also. I mean, if you did all of that, I mean, I got to say it's a gutsy hire. It's an outside the box hire and it is a, it's a risk. Because you don't have like a Garrett Riley, a documented track record of success, or a Kendall Bryles, or even Graham Harrell, who granted West Virginia is not going bowling this year, uh, but it wasn't because of their offense, as well as a lot of other guys, as well as guys at the FCS level that run, have run prolific offense. Okay, so I think at the end of the day, Shane Beamer is impressed with the man. He's impressed with 
uh, what he's done in the National Football League, and he's impressed with his recruiting acumen from his two years at Arkansas. And I think he's was become convinced that Dow Loggins could take a convoluted, complicated offense and streamline it, streamline the verbiage, take the best parts, marry it to some of the things they did at Arkansas and have a cogent offense that will take advantage of your playmaker, Steve Spurrier. All about getting matchups and mismatches. It'd take him a little while to tinker with it, but once he found it, he had you. And that's what NFL guys try to do. We get to Dow Loggins, you'll get to hear his thoughts on 53 uh, and a third. 53 and a third yards wide. Everybody wants to attack vertical, but he talks about getting guys in space because hash marks in the National Football League are much more narrow, okay? College football, you have a boundary, which is the short side of the field, and then you have a wide side of the field. And he talks about the difficulty in guys making plays in space. Getting guys out in space, you've heard me talk about it, ad nauseum of getting a guy like Juju McDowell out in space like you did at Tennessee for him to put a move on a guy and make a guy miss and score a touchdown. Same thing he did in the bowl game. We didn't see that all year, basically, until the Tennessee game. Why does it take you to the 11th game of the year? Well, we know. That's why Marcus Satterfield's not back. Even though Shane Beamer, when put on the spot by Phil Kornblut, Phil, I love you. He was never going to give you the honest answer to that question. He is going to give you the company line. Everybody comes out smelling like a rose. All right, but we all know what went down there. All right, let's move on. Um, to Ben Portnoy from Go Gamecocks, who's going to ask Shane about really the last four hires he's made have all come from the National Football League. Uh, that'd be Marcus Satterfield, uh, Jody Wright, uh, Sterling Lucas, and now uh, Dowell Loggins. What is it about the National Football League? And so um, let's listen to that one. <laughs> Shane, I think the last three or four guys you've hired have come, come at least immediately from the from NFL uh-huh. situations. I guess one, is that just a coincidence? And I know Sat and Jody had been college guys before that, but what about that transfers to what you're trying to build? Why is it that that's something maybe you've looked for? And I guess with Dallas more specifically, what about that you feel like fit with what you wanted now here? Yeah, I don't think uh, – I didn't – I didn't seek. I didn't. Excuse me. I didn't start out uh, saying I'm going to hire somebody from the NFL uh, that had an NFL background. I really didn't. And same thing when I hired um, Sat or or any of those guys, Jody, Sterling, Lucas. You know, I'm looking for the best, the best uh, person available as well. And um, you know, if if I think Dow's a great coach, but I think being in, in the college game the last two years. He'll probably tell you, and we talked about this a little bit, has made him even better as a coach 
being in college the last two years, uh, for sure. And just seeing how, seeing the similarities, but the differences, but how to make it, make it both, make it better. Um, uh, but no, but I do think when you are able to hire somebody from an NFL background, I think it certainly is a bonus in a lot of ways. Um, the, not what you learn in the NFL, because it's all football all the time. You don't recruit, you know, you go into the building and if 90% of my day is recruiting and 10% is coaching in the NFL, it's all coaching and just studying football. So I think there's value in that. I think from a recruiting standpoint, the fact that he's been in the NFL for so long and has coached so many different quarterbacks, whether it be successful veterans or rookies or whoever, uh, it helps, you know, Sterling Lucas being able to show a recruit or our current team, some of the things he did with the Baltimore Ravens and Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, some of the things we did on third downs this year, pressure-wise, or things that he brought from the Ravens that we utilized on defense. So I think there's value in that. But uh, at the end of the day, Ben, I'm looking for the best coach and the best person available uh, for for a fit. And and you know, I know it's cheesy, but I use that analogy of that bus and wagon earlier. And I think it's the same thing with its coaches. It's all the people. I mean, this is a big. I don't want to use the word corporation, but there's a lot of moving parts in this facility from players to coach to staff. And you're trying to get all the excuse me, trying to get all the pieces uh, of the puzzle to, to fit the right way and keep moving it forward. And uh, if it happens to be a guy with an NFL background, great, but just trying to find the right fit. All right. So uh, there you have it. Two more coming up next. Emily Adams from the Greenville news, who is uh uh, Going to be back on with us soon to talk Gamecock women's basketball. Uh, maybe we can get her on at the end of the week to talk a little football and basketball. And so um, she is going to ask about um, just the diff, you know, the everything that goes in with now, you know, just having two decommitments. We talked about that off the top. And then guys leaving for the portal, all of that going on at the same time, and then hiring a coach. Uh, and so here is Emily. It hurts. Um, you know, the with the decommits with the portal mm-hmm. right now, you know, do you have any concerns at this point about trying to transition, you know, a major coordinator and retention during that transition and kind of what do the next steps look like to try to a keep the guys that you have committed, keep the guys that you have on the roster yeah. as you make that switch? I think it's a challenge for anyone, whether you're hiring a new coach or the same the staff is intact. I mean, it's just part of it's part of it. Um, you know, at the at the End of the regular season, other schools are trying to hire your coaches, and that's taking place here. We got a lot of successful people in this building that other schools are interested in. Um, there's recruiting, there's the transfer portal. Same thing after the bowl game. There's going to be another wave of people, not, hope not here, but uh, there's another wave of college football players that enter the transfer portal after bowl games as well. After that, there's the NFL season's going to they're going to start making changes and people are going to be trying to hire coaches and stuff like that. So I think it's just one of those things, the end of everybody thinks the end of the season is kind of when you can kind of take a breath, but the two weeks at the end of the regular season, three weeks, and then the two, three weeks after the bowl game are like the most hectic time of the year, just because you're trying to put all those pieces in place, whether you're trying to hire, whether you have a new coach coming in or not. But um, like I said, it's, it's one of those Emily that everybody's, everybody's uh, dealing with it right now across college football. And, and it's just 
the landscape right now with the portal and recruiting that there's going to be changes and, and things like that. And you just keep trying to, you know, recruit the, the best players available and, and, and best people available. And we've got a lot of those as well. You know, like I said, so many of those text messages, you win with people and we've got some championship level people that are um, committed to this program and will be here soon, which I'm really excited about adding them. People don't talk about all the people that, still are coming and that are still in this building right now as well. And, and, uh, you know, Kai Kroger said it best. He tweeted it last week. All we got is all we need or all we, yeah, all, all, we, all we got is all we need, I think. So I thought that was pretty good, you know, and we're trying to add some more to that as well, obviously. As a brand. All right. So good stuff there, uh, with Emily on recruiting, et cetera. All right. The last question, uh, for Shane Beamer will come from our good friend at the, BigSpur.com, John Whittle. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think my takeaway from, from what you were saying earlier was you were pretty satisfied with the offensive system y'all have been running the last couple of years. It may be just a little bit too complex in, in verbiage, but um, is, is that accurate? What, what makes you feel that way? And also, how did Dowell kind of sell himself in terms of being able to take the offense to the next level with a little bit more consistency? Yeah, I think from my standpoint with the offense, uh, we, we needed to be more consistent. There's no question about it. Um, for as good as we looked at against Tennessee, we know how we looked against Florida. And look, it's a grind every week in this league, guys. It's the toughest league in America, and there's some <laughs> real, real dudes on defenses that we play. So you're not going to go out every single week and score 60. But I believe we've got to be more consistent, starting with me. I mean, it's not just all sad. It's all of us, the entire offensive staff, myself, our players. We've got to be more consistent as well. I don't think we need to come in here and just completely – blow up stuff and we scored 63 points against Tennessee and 31 against a really good Clemson defense so not all is is broken but we absolutely need to be better and uh, you know Dow's got the freedom terminology we talked about it terminology schematics I mean you know we hired him for a reason uh, but I believe you know he the reason I hired him and, and whatnot is because one he, he can take some of the things that they did in the NFL and there are some similarities with what we did last year and what he's, his background is, but then taking the things they did at Arkansas also and, and uh, blending that with us to continue to make us better. You know, Arkansas certainly did some, has done some really good things on offense with Coach Browse, their offensive coordinator, and Dallas, you know, worked very closely with him the last two years and, like I said, has learned a lot to make our program, uh, our program better also and believe we can. So we'll get in there. I mean, right now it's getting in here and meeting the players and kind of seeing our personnel and, and what best fits for what he wants to do and then trying to win a bowl game. And then we'll get back in here in, in January and get full speed ahead on what the 2023 offense here at South Carolina is going to look like, look like, because obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that aren't in our program right now that be a part of our program in 2023, whether it be incoming freshmen, whether it be transfers that come in. And and uh, we're in the process of doing that um, with Dow to, to make our offense better. And like I said, the response that we've gotten from a lot of young men that we're trying to bring into the program about him has been uh, over the top uh, uh, ecstatic. So looking forward to getting to work. So, so. All right, so that is... Shane Beamer, uh, Dow Loggins made a brief opening statement. And then uh, the first question, of course, the venerable Dave Cloninger from the Post and Courier. 
Hey, well, David Kloniker with the Charleston Post and Courier. Yes, sir. Um, you know, being a play caller in the NFL, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of major adjustment to do it in college. Just, I know you just got here, but what does that adjustment look like? What all do you have to do to say, all right, I got to do this to get ready to start calling plays and go? Yes, sir. I don't think the play calling process is any different than it is in the NFL at the highest level. What is different is field dimensions and hashes and space and tempo and all those things that uh, in college football are very important. And that's where I think my if I think if you transition straight from the NFL to college football, I think it can be tough because it is a different game in some ways. Uh, obviously, the NFL is the highest level of football, and it's to Coach Beamer's point. There's not a 20-hour rule, and you're with your quarterbacks and your players all day, and you're just grinding ball, and that's what it is. And you're, outside of evaluating some players, but uh, going to Arkansas for those two years gave me such a uh, it will be such a benefit for me because now you can see the hash plays you need, the space plays that you need that aren't as important in the NFL because it's still 53 and a third, but that those hashes are six yards. And now there's a field boundary and there's a real element of that. Um, so pl- calling the plays is calling the plays, but the two years of Arkansas have been extremely beneficial for me that way, understanding um, the college game a little bit more. All right, so good stuff. So there you see it. No 20-hour rule, the hashes. Uh, and look, the 20-hour rule is the biggest thing. I don't think Marcus Satterfield ever understood that. And you'll, you'll hear more from Dial Loggins about, you know, just how different that is versus NFL guys being in the building all day. All right, up next, this is a very uh, revealing answer from Dow Loggins. Uh, Jeremiah from Go Gamecocks, who covers women's basketball and football, asks, from what you've seen from the South Carolina offense, what do they do well and what do you think you can help them improve or do better? And he goes back to the second game of the season and talks about that. And uh, this is really kind of eye-opening. Hey, Coach. Uh, Jeremiah Holloway with the state. Uh, welcome to Columbia. Um, this team, of course, next year is going to look, you know, pretty different from what it was this past year, I guess, with, you know, transfer portal and things like that. Just, But from what you've seen from uh, South Carolina's offense, obviously last year when you all played them and just any other tape that you've seen, um, what about that team, or I guess, what do you what do you see as maybe some of the things that they do well, and some of their identity on offense, and things that um, you you would look to uh, help them improve upon? Um, okay, Jeremy, I'm gonna kind of answer your question, but gonna go a different direction with it. We played you guys week two, and um, we obviously won the game in a in a fashion that I felt like we were the better team that day, and maybe for the whole season. And what. It, I've gotten to this point in my career where I can be very picky with jobs. And at this point, you start picking people and you pick cultures. And to play you guys in week two, and you guys, a talented football team, no question, but um, what you guys started with in week two to how you finished, there was something special about this place and this culture and what's being created to finish the way you did. And that goes back to Coach Beamer and what he's created here with the culture. And that's what really enticed me with this with this job. It was that was the opportunity. It was like something special is going on there. I want to be part of it. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't a football thing. It was the football will take care of itself. We got a lot of we got a good staff. We got a great head coach. But 
and you got great kids and you see they're bought in because how do you lose that game in week two in the SEC and finish the way you did? And it goes back to the culture you're building. Um, I haven't had it. I've watched obviously some, some tape, uh, this last three or four days has been a grind and uh, getting caught up and in a lot of different ways, but uh, you know, get up to speed that way. I know that we've got good players, and our job is to get the most out of each player, and that's that's how I would define success. Is dude, did you max out everyone to the to the highest level of their capability? Wow, I mean, it's not about having fifteen different personnel groupings and. Uh, huddling and running 58 plays and running it, you know, about uh, 35 times and throwing it 23 times. It's not about having 115 plays on the play sheet and putting in more plays at the walk-in on Friday and then going off, losing your mind and going off the play sheet during the game and calling stuff you hadn't practiced in a month. It's not about that. This guy is the anti-Marcus Satterfield. That's why he gets it. That's why, even though, to me, it is still a risk, an unnecessary risk, when you had the money and you had the capital, like the war chest of credibility kind of capital, and a program that's trending upward to go get a college guy that's been a success, Shane Beamer, thinking outside the box here, with a guy that's been the National Football League 17 years, college football for a little over two years, it's a it's a risk. But I do think he has a much better chance coming in to be successful than Marcus Satterfield because he was a real NFL coach and he knows the difference now after two years at Arkansas of what you can put in and how much you can put on somebody's plate versus in NFL versus college. All right, up next, Emily, a Philadelphia Eagles fan, is going to ask him about being touted as a strong recruiter. Where did he develop that skill set? Let's listen to that. Hey, Coach Emily Adams at the Greenville News. Eagles fan? Yes, sir. (laughs) I'm from Philly originally. I grew up in Texas, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I guess we'll have fun on Christmas Eve yeah, then. <laughs> um, you've been really touted as a strong recruiter. Just, you know, in the NFL, you don't have to do that. So where did you kind of build that skill set? And, you know, what do the next couple weeks look like for you in terms of getting on the ground recruiting for South Carolina? Yes, ma'am. Um, the hard thing about the NFL is you don't get to pick your players. And, you know, when we were in Chicago in 2016, um, talk about Alshon, had a great year for us. Um, and he was our best player on offense, and he goes to free agency. And in my mind that time, I'd only coached in pro football. And you get frustrated if you're just like, man, we just let our best receiver go, and that, that guy's not replaceable. And so you, in the back of my mind, I was always intrigued with college football, and I, I'm thinking to myself, you know what, if you go to college football, you're accountable for your roster. Like, if you don't have a good enough roster, that's your fault. And you determine how well and how hard you recruit – and you determine the success you can have, and you felt like, hey, you have a little bit more um, ownership in the roster building part of it. And I think recruiting comes down to relationships, and I don't think you can fool an 18- to 22-year-old. They see right through it. And um, I'm a, I am consider myself a people person. I enjoy – I love the recruiting process because 
you get to meet a lot of cool kids and a lot of parents and come from different situations and different backgrounds and you get to tell them and sell them and not, not really sell them because I don't really consider it recruiting. I consider it building relationships and building relationships to the point where they, they either a mom, a dad, a, a auntie, a grandma trust you with their kids. And it, that's a more awesome responsibility than than you can imagine as a coach. And I take the being the play caller South Carolina is a huge responsibility, but you're also going to mold 18 to 22 year olds into into becoming young adults and that's an awesome responsibility as well that I take very seriously and I think that when you talk to recruits and parents I think they feel that and they they can feel they feel sincere versus fake and they feel recruiting versus building relationships and we have such an awesome program to sell we got a great head coach to sell uh, an awesome fan base there's no game day atmosphere in America like this place and I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it all right so really great stuff there all right, up next, Rick Henry is going to ask two questions about the transition from the NFL to college. How long did it take to get comfortable with that? And then how important will this spring be? Really good stuff here. Hi, Coach. Rick Henry, WIS-TV. Yes, sir. When you made the transition from the NFL to college, how long did it take you to feel comfortable just making that transition and with the uh, you know differences between the two? And also, yeah. how important is the spring going to be for you as um, you implement your offense with a new team? Yes, sir, Rick. It, um, so when I left the Jets, I had a little brief stand with Coach Franklin at Penn State for about – it was about three months um, – and as a guy that I have a ton of respect for, when I was in Tennessee, he was the head coach at Vanderbilt. And I used to wear him out about – I was at practice all the time. I was curious about recruiting. He's a relentless recruiter. And I wanted to know more about it before, hey, I want to know, do I, if, do I want to go jump in college football or do I want to continue to go coach in the NFL? And so it was an awesome opportunity for me to go and learn that a guy who's run a program for a long time, had a ton of success at Vanderbilt. Um, and doing the great things at Penn State. And so I got to see the nuts and bolts of his program from the inside out, which also gave me confidence, like, hey, I do want to – I want to go coaching college football. The, you know, because when you've never recruited, you're you're worried, like, hey, what's this recruiting? Like, you guys have heard the horror stories. Like, um, you know, it's – but I've really enjoyed that process, and I needed that to say, hey, this is something I want to do. So when the Arkansas opportunity came back to go back to my alma mater and coach, and it was – um, I think it surprised a lot of people that I was willing to go become the tight end coach, but it was an SEC job and it was a chance to prove to people I could recruit. And I needed to, I needed to do that. I, I know the football aspect of it, but I also wanted to prove to that I could be uh, recruited at a high level. So I, you know, that was, that was part of the process. And then I think the spring is really important to get to know your players and do it, find out what each one of them can do. And your job as a coach, like, it's not that we're not going to have one system and say, hey, this is our system. You have to fit it. we got to find out what each one of our guys does best and put them in that situation. That's how you create success. And that's the only way to maximize a person. It's not just trying to, you know, fit one player into the system. And that's what you do in spring ball. You're not – you don't play. There's no, there's no scoreboard. You're creating competition on the roster. And you're creating depth for your team. And you're building fundamentals. And we're going to find out what each guy's skill set is. So that the spring is extremely important for – for our roster, for our staff, and for myself. Hey, again, that's the anti-Satterfield. Did he maximize Jaheim Bell? Did he figure out what he could do best? No, he left him on the sidelines. The guy's in for four four plays of the first half against Missouri, about four plays 
in the first half against Florida, I mean, the guy, uh, you know, Texas a and maybe it's Texas A&M because I do think he played running back at Florida. But you're not utilizing the guy. You're just not using him. Coaching is what Dowell Loggins just said. It's finding out what your players do best and putting them in position to maximize their talent. I never heard Marcus Satterfield say that. It was all about this system and running stuff and, you know, all of a sudden Juice Wells has that big game against Arkansas and then he went on a milk carton for a month. Guys like Dow Loggins, if Juice Wells comes back, he's going to figure out a way to scheme him open every week because that's what good coaches do. All right, let's go next to uh, Ben Portnoy, who is going to ask about what Dow Loggins looks for in his uh, quarterbacks. So uh, here we go with Ben Portnoy. Hey, Dow, Ben Portnoy with the State Newspaper. In terms of, obviously, you're going to be coaching quarterbacks here. What does it look like to be coached by you as a quarterback? What are you looking for in that position? I guess, what does that kind of look like on a day-to-day basis? How do you kind of attack that room? Yeah, I think it's what kind of I mentioned to Rick is finding the best, taking what they do and making it better. Like, when you get to this age, you're not going to change a throwing motion. You can tweak it, and you can shorten it, and you can get the ball out quicker. Um, you can coach the lower body extremely hard. You can teach guys to have rhythm in the throws, and there's ways to do that. Um, I do think that the advantage of coming from the NFL is that you learn a lot. You learn a lot from quarterbacks that you've coached. And when I was my first job as a quarterback coach, I coached Kerry Collins, who was six, seven years older than me, and he even coached by Sean Payton and North Turner. And then I got, you know, I had Vince Young for a little while, and then I had Matt Hasselback, who was older than me and one of the smartest people I've ever met. And then you go coach Jay Cutler, and I learned as much about the throwing mechanics from those guys and having just conversations because these guys don't have class. Like, we're sitting around all day watching tape and watching throwing motions and breaking down the details of their fundamentals, and you work together with them. You're not telling them. It's not a dictatorship. It's you're working with them and saying, hey, do you think you should widen your base? Do you think you missed that throw to the left because your target line was bad? And you figure out that a lot of these NFL players can self-correct. They're so talented they can overcome bad fundamentals. Um, but you also – it's just that being – I love coaching quarterbacks because I love the fundamentals of it. I love the intent that come with it. The, I think you can make a huge difference on people that are willing to work. Now, the, the player has to be willing to do that and commit, and it's not easy and it's really hard. And outside of being the head coach, and you could argue whether the quarterback or offensive coordinator is the most scrutinized position in football – it comes. It's a heavy burden to wear the crown, and just be able to teach these guys what I've learned from 17 years of coaching at the highest level at the quarterback position, and some of the you know really really good players, Pro Bowlers, and um, that we've been around. Just be able to pour all of that into you know the 17 years into a person, which excites me because it's you get a chance to make a kid better, and that, that's why you coach is to see hey how how good can we make you, and how willing are you willing to work and like you spend all your energy to making a kid better. Again, there you have it, making my point. All right, up next, let's go to Helma Granahan, kind of piggybacking off of that on to uh, quarterbacks. Hale is going to ask uh, Dowell Loggins about, you know, 
when you are evaluating or recruiting quarterbacks, what are you looking for? So let's uh, let's go to that. All right, we'll go back now to Pete Iacobelli, and he asks, what does a Dial Loggins offense look like when it's clicking? And um, I thought this was one of the best answers. And again, another reason why I think this guy gets it where Marcus Satterfield uh, kind of just read the read the book and tried to teach the book and really hadn't lived the life. Dow Loggins has lived the life. Let's uh, listen to this. Better. Hey, Dow. Pete Iacobelli from the AP. Yes, sir. And I did pull for you as a Jets fan in 19 and 20, you know. It's tough. To <laughs> Those say. were some rough years. Yeah, yeah they sure were. <laughs> Dow, on a, on a brighter note, what does a Dow Loggins offense look like when it's clicking, when things are working? What do you like to do uh, out there? Um, Pete, correct? Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, Pete, the th- I know I don't want to be – I told uh, Steve this. I don't want to speak in a bunch of coaching cliches. You guys are going to find this out about me. I want to be very honest and very transparent with everything. And for me to make any kind of statement of – Anything other than the truth right now would be like just propaganda. Uh, is maximize our players. Like really find out what we have. I don't know right now, and we need spring ball, Rick, to find that out. I need to know what these guys can do. Our staffs can to do. They'll be able to fill me in on their opinions and um, of expectations and what a guy can and can't do. But we really want to build an offense that um, obviously number one. I think the most important thing about offense is you create pressure on defense, and you can do that in a lot of ways. You got to create conflict whether that be RPOs, tempo, um, play-action passes. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. But offense, defense, especially, is, is really about creating pressure on the opponent. And the way to do that is you find out who your playmakers are and put them in spots that create conflict on the defense. And that's how yeah, I think that well, the one thing in college football um, that you have to attack is 53 and a third. Like everyone wants to attack vertical. But in college, it's, it's space and pace. That's a real thing. You know, I've watched for two years uh, our offense and, um, that we evolved in. It's not Baylor. It wasn't Ole Miss, you know, the versions of it there. But it was also with the ability to run the football. And going really, really fast wasn't always the answer. But being able to play with tempo is. So we're really going to try to find out um, what our players can do. Starting with, And I, I think there's a priority in that. It starts with quarterback. And then it goes to offensive line. And then you find out what your skill guys do well, but you have to build it that way through the quarterback size and the offensive line. And then how do we get our skill guys the ball? So I hope that to be successful is that we create balance, which means multiple touches for our playmakers. And we don't come in here after a game and have a conversation about, hey, why did so-and-so only have two catches? Or why did so-and-so only have, you know, nine carries and, and those things that, that you hope that you maximize your players. Again, how many times was Shane Beamer having to defend Marcus Satterfield by saying, well, we have so many playmakers, we can't get them the ball. And then the last two games, guess what? Everybody got the ball. And so a couple of things here, creating pressure and conflict with the de- on the defense. And that's how you do that. It's by getting the ball to Juice Wells a lot. Now you do that by getting the ball to – uh, Josh Van, 
down the field. You do that by getting the ball to Juju McDowell out in space. You do that by running Amari and Brown in a speed sweep, jet sweep with DeCarrie and Joyner where the defense has to make a decision. Am I going outside or am I going to go in and stop this guy who's like a running back when the ball's in his hands? South Carolina's offense didn't always do that. They run all these bunch formations and just tried to keep running in all these personnel groupings and run all these plays. Not specifically dial it down and scheme open your playmakers, which is what good football coaches and great football coaches do. And that's why Marcus Satterfield, I don't care how much he knows about ball. Coaching is about doing what Dowell Loggins just said, okay? And and look, I'm not telling you I'm all in, but I think based off what the guy said and based on his track record in the NFL and transitioning to college and seeing the 20-hour week and how you have to streamline it and scale it down and how it's different, it gives him a much, much better chance of being successful. All right, next we'll go to Colin Taylor, who's going to ask, what have you seen so far from Spencer Rattler on film and what have your conversations with him been like? And a great answer here and a very telling answer as to why Marcus Satterfield's no longer the offensive coordinator at South Carolina. Hey, Donald, Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central. Um, you mentioned the quarterback position. Yeah. What have you seen when you got to watch Spencer Rattler this year in week two? And, and what have conversations been like with him if you've had them? Yeah, uh, we have had. I'm sorry that you we uh, share the Browns experience. But uh, um, I actually enjoy That was why I got to co- coach Connor Shaw for the first time. So there were positives in it as well. But, uh, you know, uh, Spencer's been good. I don't want to go into too much detail of what we've talked about. But week two, I'm going to be – this is me, who I am. I was concerned about where you guys were going to go after we played y'all, because um, we the way we beat y'all, um, and then to and you saw like it was there, like there were some plays, there were some injuries and things, but uh, to be honest, at the end of the season, I was kind of shocked how you guys finished. Like you got better every week, and I think that I thought those last two games, and I hadn't had a chance to really dive in and talk to Spencer about this, but he played free. And for whatever reason, he got to the point where he looked very confident. And it didn't feel that way all year. It was – I think that's probably what created some inconsistency. It's hard – it's easy for me to sit up here and judge that, but that would be my observation, which could be wrong. Um, but those last two games, he felt like he was getting the – like it was the best version of him and he was confident and played free. And that's really – you have to get to the point in this game where there's an absence of fear. Like you have to get that way where – and it's, it's part of the culture as well that you create and um, that we want to create as well offensively. Like, you get to the point where you're confident, and knowledge builds confidence, and confidence allows you to play fast. And at that point, in the, those last two games, that's what it felt like. Uh, I was extremely impressed with him. Um, we got to we gotta do a great job recruiting him back. And I told someone to be the biggest recruit since my wife. Um, and that's, you know, we got to do a good job with that. And I'm excited to, you know, get back here and talk to him and visit uh, face-to-face as well. I mean, that is a great answer, and Dow Loggins uh, was not wrong. Um, 
because Spencer Rattler didn't look like he played free. If you go back to the Tennessee game, he only had one Power 5 game going into Tennessee where he threw for over 200 yards, and that was against Arkansas. And it was mostly after he fell behind 21-3 to and then, you know, 35-16 to or whatever. Okay, you closed it to 21 to 16 or 19 to 16 or whatever it was. And then, yeah, 21 to 16. And then it was 35 to 16. And then they're playing prevent. And Spencer didn't play free. And there was not an absence of fear from him until the last two games when Marcus Satterfield knew he was at the end and everybody just had the effort attitude let's just go and play and so play absence of fear allows you to play fast and play free and if South Carolina had done that from week one you'd probably be looking at a 10 and 2 football team and if you'd have done it last year even with the injuries like I said you'd have been looking at an eight win football team all right, uh, last question here. Uh, my friend Phil Kornblut uh, from the Sports Talk Media Network, he's going to ask uh, Dow Loggins about, do you tear up the playbook and, and start new? Uh, you know, the knock on Satterfield was his offense was complex. It was hard to pick up. The verbiage was hard to pick up. And so here's uh, that Q&A, and that'll wrap it. Here in South Carolina, uh, unapologetic Packers fan, and uh, quarterbacks are fine in Green Bay. We're, we're happy with our QBs. You should. Yeah. You should be. We like our guys. It's an, and Lambeau's an awesome place. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Went there one time. Unfortunately, I've been there too many times. Yeah. 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 With Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and a lot of good players. Yeah. Also hate the Bears, so, you know. How that goes, the rivalry. Um, do you, coming in new, do you uh, tear up the playbook from before um, and, and start anew with terminology and all that? And also, uh, I don't know how accurate this is, but one of the things we, we'd heard about uh, the Coach Satterfield offense was that it was very complex and, and players had, had trouble at times you know, picking it up. They were thinking more than reacting. Uh, is your offense going to be uh, extremely complex uh, and, and hard for the guys to, to pick up? So, um, you know, they're, they're doing more thinking than reacting. Oh, so two-part question. Um, I really want to find out about our quarterback situation, to be completely honest. Like, if I want Spencer to have a say in some of the things and have a voice in that. And I want to know what he's comfortable with. I do think there's merit, and I think this – I've had great conversations with NFL coaches from my transition of, okay – we're far off right now when I say we as coaches from the NFL to college. And when I first got in the NFL, you when you get in the coach, I mean, in 2005, my first year, and uh, went to Dallas with um, Parcells and Sean Payton, is the coolest thing is you're sitting there watching NFL films and you're watching John Gruden mic'd up and he's just giving it to Chris Sims because Sims can't get the play call out in 17 words. And you're like, that's what I want to be. I want to coach and be like that. Well, then and you're sitting in the NFL and you, I don't have a 20 hour rule, and I watch these rookies come in. And can't get a play call, can't get the huddle broke. And you're like, man, why this doesn't seem that hard. Like you're not studying enough and you're not putting in the time you need. And then you come to college football. You're like, oh man, they got class. 
they're 18 years old. I can't, I don't remember what it was like when I was 18, but I had a lot of crap going on in my life that football wasn't always the, the most important thing. I had to study. I had to find a girlfriend, uh, you know, I had to hang out with the boys and all that stuff. So what I have learned, I've told my friends in uh, pro coaching that there's a disconnect there and you, and it comes with verbiage. And I made the comment earlier um, to my guy from Cleveland that uh, um, the knowledge builds confidence and confidence allows you to play fast. And some of that is reducing verbiage as much as you can to make it fit where it still makes sense. And you don't have to have a 17-word play call. And I don't, I don't know that I would have known that if I didn't come for two years and watch college football and, and understand exactly what these guys are being taught because these NFL offenses, offenses are awesome. And they, they are super sophisticated. And – you also get paid and you're full-time. That, that's your job, full-time. You're expected to be there at 7 o'clock and leave at 5 o'clock compared to a 20-hour rule. So it's crazy to think that we're going to try to have pro-style concepts like that they've had here. Obviously, they're, they're very sound that way. But how, how much can we reduce the terminology and still be efficient and streamlining? The, the biggest thing I've learned from college football was the space and pace of the game and the ability to communicate with signals in as uh, few words as possible. And that, that's you, what I've been impressed with is how fast these kids learn a signal opposed to words. For whatever reason, it just hits their brain. And where you don't even have to say something, but you give a signal and everybody knows what to do. And there's a lot more one-word play calls in college football. And I think that's where the biggest transition for a college quarterback is going from college football to pro football. Um, but you can still run pro-style concepts and be able to communicate and signal in a fast way. All right, and so there you have it from Dow Loggins. Is it's not all about having a 17-word play, streamlining. You streamline your playbook, the number of plays, the number of personnel groupings. You streamline the verbiage. You cut it down. You reduce it as much as possible so players can have confidence and play free. Okay, using signals, using the poster boards, okay, one-word play calls. That is college football. That's what Cam Newton did at Auburn. Okay, that's what Chip Kelly was doing at Oregon um, when Marcus Mariota was winning the Heisman Trophy. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, that's it. Streamlining to give your players confidence so they're not thinking, but they're playing free. And that is what I like about Dowell Loggins. And so that is a wrap uh, on Dowell Loggins and on Today's show, which is sponsored by Jack Oliver's Pool, Spa, and Patio on Forest Drive in Columbia. They're good people out there. They got you covered, whether it's that or you want the grills or griddle. They got it all at Jack Oliver Pool, Spa, and Patio on Forest Drive in Columbia. Go out there, pick up something, maybe as a Christmas gift. Got a lot of mild uh, weather in the south. You can grill year-round. And uh, tell them the lot on the Gamecocks 
podcast sent you. All right, so uh, I'm all right day after my surgery, so we'll send you out with a little Kenny Loggins to celebrate Dowell Loggins. I'll be back tonight for the Garnet Black Town Hall, and J.C. Sherbert will be with me.